As we continue in worship this morning, I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We are going to look at verses 5 through 17 this morning. And as you turn there, just a quick update on the kings. I just got a uh, message from Mike saying that Molly is doing well post-epidural. We've decided a C-section will be the best option for Eloise and Molly after multiple days of labor. And I have the uh, texting bubbles that are going on, which means I must be getting more text messages. Jordan, can you turn the trim down on this mic at the top? Certainly, this is not what Mike and Molly desired, but we know that God is working out his will. It's going to perfectly coordinate with this morning's sermon. Uh, And so as you turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 17, let us turn to the Lord uh, in a word of prayer for the kings as they prepare for surgery, if that be the Lord's will, uh, and also as uh, we seek to understand his word and he impresses it upon our hearts. Let us pray. Father, we do pray for Mike, Molly, and Eloise. Father, we do uh, pray that you would work in the midst of this situation, Lord, that you would uh, certainly pray for their, we pray for their anxiety. Uh, We pray uh, that they would trust you in the midst of a difficult situation, that they would trust you in the midst of a situation that uh, certainly they did not desire, and yet uh, may they look to you, may they cry out to you as their Uh, Lord and their Savior, a good God who gives us good things, uh, and we trust and believe that this is all within your providential will, uh, that you are preparing for them, uh, even this moment, this story, uh, in order that they might uh, be able to minister to those in the future, uh, that they might be able uh, just to be a testimony of your goodness and grace as they trust in you. And so, Father, we do pray for them. We pray that you would be with them. Uh, and that you would guide the hands of surgeons, that you would keep them safe as they go through this procedure, uh, and that uh, you would be in the midst of it, and that they would feel your presence. Uh, Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful uh, for the gospel. We're thankful for Luke and uh, for his diligence in recording the accounts of Jesus' life for us in the word. And so we pray that you would impress it upon our hearts this morning as we uh, prepare uh, to hear uh, from it. We're thankful for it, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 17. As we look at this text this morning, I trust that uh, we will see this theme that reoccurs throughout uh, this passage, but even throughout the entire Bible. One of the things that we know is a consistent message throughout God's Word is that God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. One of the greatest hymns ever written in the history of the church, in my humble opinion, is the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. With that recurring refrain that we sing again and again, reminding us uh, that God is faithful to His promises. It goes something like this, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hand hath provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. If there is one overarching message concerning God throughout the Bible, it is that he is faithful to his promises, and that God fulfills those promises in His way, according to His time, because His ways and timing are always 
best. Often, beloved, because of the sinfulness of our own hearts, that message is hard for us to embrace. Too many times our desire is to rush God's providences and provisions. Too many times we want God to meet us here and now. And that's where we find Israel at the start of Luke's gospel. In the midst of all that God has done for them throughout history, we find Israel here in the midst of judgment waiting on God. And quite possibly they are not waiting all that patiently. And yet they wait for God to fulfill his promises. And fulfill his promises he does. We find the story pick up for us in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. Let us read verses 5 through 7. And the plan for this morning is to kind of work through this passage section by section. As we kind of look at these three ways that God shows his faithfulness to Israel and even to us. As he pronounces the birth of the forerunner of the Messiah. That is the Savior of the world. Again, notice the story picks up in verse 5 of chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, or Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. This introduction to the birth of John the Baptist places this story in the history of Old Testament Israel. And it shows the connection between the story of Jesus and the rest of the Bible. There is an integral connection between what has happened in Israel's history and the breaking in of that Messiah, King, Savior of the world. Everything about this text draws us into this story of redemption. The progress of God's plan for salvation. And the faithfulness of God to fulfill His promises in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness. The first thing that we see in our text this morning, is if you're following along on the insert in your bulletin, is God's faithfulness in the midst of judgment. God's faithfulness in the midst of judgment or in judgment. Notice again that Luke, as we learned even last week, as he serves as this historian to retell this story, this account of Jesus, indelibly ties this account to a specific time in history. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. We notice that there's this man who existed in history. His name is Herod and that this took place in those days when Herod ruled over Judea and therefore ruled over God's people. The title of Herod suggests something about the state of God's people at the coming of the Messiah. 
You see, God's people have lost their privileged status as leaders among the nations because of their incessant disobedience. They find themselves under Roman occupation and subservient to a pagan king. Now, in God's mercy and grace, Herod is certainly favorable to the Jews. What we know about Herod I is that his desire was to ingratiate himself to the Jews by being very accommodating to their religious practices. We know that Herod even begins this multi-year campaign where his desire is to rebuild the Jewish temple. However, even though God is gracious to Israel in the midst of their disobedience, by giving them a sympathetic ruler, he is a Roman ruler nonetheless. And his presence over the Jewish nation is a sign of God's judgment upon them. And it is within this judgment that God gives Zechariah a sign. You see, God had been silent for almost 400 years up to this point. There had been no prophets, no angels, no visitors, no visions, nothing. Where we find Israel in the midst of this breaking in in history is wondering, where is our God at? Is God absent? And what we find is that God is not absent in the story, but that he was patiently aligning all of history to introduce the next stage of redemption. You see, what we find in our text is that God is faithful even in the midst of this judgment. And maybe it's a coincidence, probably not, probably more of a providence, but the last time an angel appeared to Israel was through the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 9, Zechariah chapter 2 verse 3, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1. And now, 500 years later, as God breaks his silence, an angel appears to, you guessed it, a priest named Zechariah. A name which means Yahweh has not forgotten. It's almost as if God picks up where he left off in order to bring to fulfillment that which he had promised so long ago in that prophet Zechariah. You see, beloved, we can rest assured this morning that God had not forgotten his people. That God had not forgotten his promises. But that God was fulfilling them in his own time and in his own way. This is a theme throughout this narrative, as we will see again in a bit, but it is certainly instructive for our own sanctification. In those times when we doubt God is at work, or it seems like he is silent, what we understand is that he is perfectly orchestrating all the affairs of history to accomplish his glory in our best. And he is calling us, beloved, to trust him through the process. And we see this not only in these 
this overarching historical events, but we also see it in Zechariah's life. Luke introduces us to this man, this man whom God chooses to initiate the fulfillment of his promises, and this man's name is Zechariah. And he tells us a lot about Zechariah's situation and his character. Chiefly, though, we learn that Zechariah is a man of faith. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, that's your second fill-in for this morning. We see in our text God's faithfulness in Zechariah. God's faithfulness in Zechariah. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, let us read it again. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years." I trust you can see the contrast there between verse 5, 6, and then into 7. We see the first thing, that Zechariah is a priest, and that it is his time to serve in the temple. What we know is that the service in the temple was divided among 24 priestly divisions, and that each served for a week long, twice a year, in total, There were probably about 18,000 priests enrolled in the services of Israel. And the text tells us that Zechariah was serving under the division of Abijah. The account suggests that Zechariah was faithful in his duties. And that he's zealous for the purposes of God. Even to marry one of the daughters of Aaron suggests that Zechariah loves Yahweh and his ways. It certainly could be said of this priest that he loved God's law and that he meditated on it all day and night. Psalm 119 verse 97. And what we learn is that Zechariah and his wife were righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Notice that again in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, certainly this means more than that they were just simply obedient to God in all things. This means, beloved, that they trusted God by faith. To be righteous before God does not mean that they were perfect, for no one is perfect. To be righteous before God means that they trusted God and His means of salvation. For all, both Old and New Testament saints are declared righteous by faith. And this puts Zechariah in the line of those who were the true children of Abraham. As we saw in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And we see again in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let me read that for you. It says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We learn that Zechariah is a righteous man, that he believes God and, he, and his promises, that he trusts God, and that God therefore counted Zechariah's faith as righteousness. And certainly, Zechariah, being a priest, had a front row seat to God's promise of salvation through a potential sacrificial lamb. And he entrusted his sins to the Lord's providence. And this is seen in the way that he lived his life. Not only did Zechariah trust in the Lord, but he was blameless before him, careful to walk in all his commandments and statutes. Verse 6 is a significant detail for us this morning. It's a significant detail, one, because it shows that faith toward God and trusting in his promises produces righteous living. It is not merely that Zechariah and Elizabeth trusted God. They loved God and they desired to serve him from a pure heart. Romans 6.17 Their lives were blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Again, this does not mean that they were merely obedient, but that their obedience came from a heart that was devoted to the Lord their God. See, beloved, being true children of Abraham, their righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 5.20, which means then that their childlessness was not a result of their sin. Zechariah and Elizabeth stand as the quintessential display of the faithful rem remnant of Israel patiently waiting for the coming of, this, of the Messiah. But what we learn in our text in verse 7 is that they are without child. Notice that Luke says this somewhat tersely, but certainly in contrast to what has preceded. Luke chapter 1 verse 7 says, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Certainly, the Spirit of God includes this detail to set up the miracle that is about to happen, but it also teaches us something else about the faithfulness and ways of God. Hear this, beloved. Our difficult circumstances should not automatically be attributed to sin in our lives. We learn that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God and faithfully walking in his ways. And yet they are without child. 
Now, sometimes, beloved, our hardships are because of our sins. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sometimes our hardships are because of our sins. And if so, beloved, repent this morning and follow the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience. But sometimes our hardships are because God has something in store for our lives that we would never dream of or anticipate. You see, childlessness in the first century was often interpreted by first century Jews as a sign of God's disfavor. The thinking was, if you were pleasing to the Lord, he would grant you favor by giving you children. And we learn from the text that this was certainly something that both Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, prayed for. Notice it with me in verse 13. As the angel, angel speaks to Zechariah, he says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. What we learn in this text is that the childlessness of Zechariah and Elizabeth was not due to their lack of righteousness, nor was it due to a lack of prayer. It was due to the plan of God, who had something so much greater in store for them both. Philip Ryken, in his commentary on this text, says this, and you can find the quote on the insert in your bulletin. It says this, In this case, Elizabeth was barren for the glory of God. God was not punishing her, but planning a miracle that would get his people ready for salvation and also bring Elizabeth great joy. God had something special in mind. And the best way to show that John was a special child was to bring him from a barren womb. So Elizabeth was suffering because of the way that God wanted to be glorified through her life. Close quote. Beloved, this is such an important lesson for us to learn. Sometimes our hardships are due to the Lord of the universe preparing us for amazing things that he desires to do in our lives. You see, beloved, we are so often nearsighted. We often focus on the circumstances that are right before us. We are often so impatient with God as he fulfills his will. You see, we think we know best. We think we have a wonderful plan for our lives. And we are patient, impatient with God, thinking that we know better. And since God is not answering our prayers, there must be something wrong. But what we learn from the account of Zechariah 
is that often God is just calling us to be faithful with what he has given to us in the moment because he is preparing us for something greater. Now, there is no indication that Zechariah or Elizabeth are discontent in their calling. There is every indication that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are trusting the Lord and serving him faithfully, continuing to pray pray that the Lord would answer their desires for a son, even in the face of the improbability of old age. And in the midst of their prayers, and in the midst of their faithfulness, God visits them. We see in the life of Zechariah that his trust in God comes to a head in the fulfillment of his prayers. And God fulfills his prayer in a way that Zechariah would have never expected. By not only giving him a child in his old age, but by choosing him as the vessel to bring about the forerunner of the Messiah of Israel. We see thirdly in our text this morning that not only does God is God faithful in the midst of judgment, not only is God faithful to Zechariah, but we also see that God is faithful in answering prayer. We see God's faithfulness in answered prayer. Notice it with me in verse 8 of Luke chapter 1, verse 8 to 12. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Beloved, what we learn throughout this text is that God is faithful to his people. If there is one thread that weaves throughout this whole story, it's that God is faithful to his people. And what we find is that God is faithful to Zechariah and that God is faithful through Zechariah to his people. Zechariah is the chosen vessel of God to reignite his plan of salvation in such a prolonged period of silence. The providence of God is all over this account. Zechariah is called up to serve as priest. He is chosen by law to enter in the temple to burn incense. Literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. And as he is serving the Lord in the temple by offering up incense, an angel of the Lord appears to him. God is going to speak again. And Zechariah responds to this angel as as many in the Bible often respond to angels with fear and trembling. But what we learn is that the angel has a very specific message for Zechariah. Notice it with me in verse 13. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The angel responds to Zechariah by declaring that his prayer has been answered. Now it would seem that there is a double implication in this response. That the prayer of Zechariah immediately as well as that prolonged prayer that he had been given for so many years is about to be answered. And we see this twofold in implication in the contrast between verse 13 and verse 14. Notice it with me again. He says, For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." The angel here is not only saying that his personal prayer would be answered, but also that his prayer for the nation is about to be answered. Zechariah, serving as a priest in this particular role, would have lifted up prayers for the nation of Israel and specifically for the nation's deliverance. As he entered into the temple and lit the incense, which represented the prayers of God's people going up to God, his specific prayer would have been for a Redeemer, for the Messiah who was to come, for the one who would save them from their enemies. And so the angel's response to Zechariah is both an immediate answer to that prayer, but it's also a rather delayed answer for his prayer for a child. What we find in our text is that God is faithful to his promises. God heard Zechariah's prayer. If you're here this morning and you've been praying diligently, For God to meet you in some certain circumstance, understand this morning, beloved, that your prayers do not go unheard. That for years and years, Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a son, and we finally see that in God's timing, that prayer is answered. But as I've said, it's answered in a way that Zechariah would have never imagined. For God does not only bless Zechariah through this answer to prayer, but he blesses all that are around him. 
Not only does he answer Zechariah's prayer, but he also answers the prayers of his people. Not only would Zechariah and Elizabeth be filled with great rejoicing at the news of this son, but so the nation would be elated at the news that the forerunner of the Messiah was about to break into history. You see, this answer to the prayer is connected to a promise that God made all the way back in Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4. There's an important connection that we must make as we see this declaration of the birth of John the Baptist who is to come to Zechariah and his wife. You see, in this birth, God is about to reintroduce his word to his people. For so long, God had been silent. For 400 years, from the time of the prophet Malachi, God had not spoken. And yet we see in this prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 that there would come a day when God would speak again. Notice Malachi 3 verse 1. You can find it on the insert in your bulletin. It says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord's coming. And what we find in our text is that in the temple, an angel breaks in and declares this concerning John in verse 17. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God declared that which would mark the coming of the Messiah. And then he was silent for 400 years. And in the promise from the angel, we see that God has not forgotten his promises. Remember, Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. And he is going to speak to them once again. God was waiting for his perfect timing to accomplish his perfect will. And that timing had come upon Zechariah in the temple. You see, there was no more waiting. The fullness of time had come. The Messiah was about to arrive and God was preparing the way for the Savior. God was not slow in granting his promises as some count slowness. God was patiently orchestrating the affairs of history in order that he might grant salvation not only to the Jewish people, 
but even to the Gentile world as well. For God is always faithful to his promises in his time and in his ways. Might we believe that this morning? The prophet that was to come, his name is John, and he was to declare a message to prepare a people for salvation. And his message would be a message of grace through repentance. And that is the message that we will turn to next week, Lord willing. Let us pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. We're so thankful for this word. We're so thankful that you have preserved it for us. That we have this account of God's faithfulness in and through Zechariah. In and through John the Baptist. Even in and through the Son. Father, would you cause us to trust in your ways. Father, even this morning as we think about Mike and Molly, would you cause them to trust you in your ways? Would you give them faith? Faith that would be an evidence of their love for you. Faith that would be a testimony even to doctors and to nurses. Father, we're so thankful that you are a God who is faithful. And may we believe it. And may we declare it for all to hear. We're thankful for this and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.